Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. You guys ready to dive into the Word of God today? Okay, we got some people in the room that are feeling refreshed and some people that are feeling tired. I want you to lay your hand on your heart. Say, King Jesus, I may be tired, but you're Lord. I want you to speak to me. I believe that right now, today, you have new blessings for my life. And I want them. So I come ready to receive. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 Well, coming back from, there's no way to come back from uh, sabbatical better than with a confession. So I want to come back with a confession to you today. I have lived most of my days of life on earth under a debilitating condition that I just thought was normal life. I didn't know a label for it. I didn't know a name for it. When I looked around, it seemed like a lot of other people were living the same way, and, and as far as what I could compare it to, has anybody ever heard of RLS, restless leg syndrome? Anybody ever heard of restless leg syndrome? So listen, restless leg syndrome is known by three eyes. The first eye of restless leg syndrome is there's the irresistible urge to move your legs at all times, even when you're resting. The second eye is there's an inability to just be still. The third is that inactivity causes great discomfort. And my confession is that most of the days of my life, I haven't lived with RLS, restless leg syndrome. I've lived with RSS, restless soul syndrome. Most of the days that I've lived here on earth, I've lived with a restless soul. Restless soul syndrome, much like RLS, is known by a few factors. You see, restless soul syndrome is there's an irresistible urge to move and do and accomplish and produce. Restless soul syndrome means that you're at great discomfort unless you're filling your soul and your schedule and your mind with what you deem as meaningful activity. It's the fear of missing out. It's the inability to just be still. And coming back from a Sabbath, the reason I want to talk about it is I want to say judging by the pace of of most lives of Christians that I see around me, judging by most of our prayer requests, it seems that I'm not alone. There are a few factors that contributed to my coming to the faith with a restless soul and carrying it on day after day, and a few things that aggravated this RSS that I carried around. So I want to share with you today some symptoms of a restless soul syndrome. I see three of them. The first is this, with a restless soul, you have a tendency to derive your worthiness, that's your value or your standing in the world or your standing in any group of people. Where am I on the ladder? A tendency to derive your worthiness from your present performance. When you have a restless soul, you're always proving. 
You're always working. You're always trying to arrive. And here's the hard part. There's always this unreachable goal that, that once I get there, it's going to get there. But with a restless soul, even when you get there, even in your wins, it's like a championship boxer that won the belt, and now every day you get up, you've got to defend your title. Every day you've got to keep it going. A second symptom of a restless soul is there's a tendency to view difficult circumstances and difficult relationships. Anybody have difficult circumstances in your life? Okay. I'm going to rewind and ask that again. Because I think some people had such difficult circumstances, you were like, I don't even feel like raising my hand right now. <laughs> Anybody have difficult circumstances in your life? Okay. And difficult relationships. Don't look around. But anybody got difficult relationships in your life? Listen, when you walk with a restless soul, there's a tendency to view difficult circumstances and difficult relationships as enemies that need to be removed or changed before peace and joy can reign in your heart. You want to know the indicator of a restless soul? It's that you are never at peace. There's always an obstacle that you're busy fixing. The number one thing you will hear, and I've been guilty of it, from a restless soul is, it's just a busy season. It's just a busy season. I want to give you a news alert. If your busy season has been going on the last two or five or ten years, it's not a season. It's just your life. For a lot of us, we find that we're always running, always fixing, always going. There's a third tendency of a restless soul. It's a tendency to hold unrealistic expectations. And from those expectations, to draw unhealthy conclusions concerning other people and life and God and most of all, ourselves. And here's the thing that happens with a restless soul. It's almost all unspoken. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm restless, and these are the reasons I'm restless. Like me, you just think it's life. You just think it's the way things work for you. What I'm most concerned about is this. In our modern life, we have this unspoken way that many of us expect life with Jesus to work. And here's what it looks like. We believe that if I do the hard work to be intentional, to just be a good person, if I do the right things, if I walk with integrity, if I put the Lord first, if I give him the best of my finances, if I go to church, if I live a moral life, then here's what's going to happen. God's going to make life work favorably for me in the here and now. I'll fall in love. I'll work a meaningful job. I will experience secure finances. When I go relationally, people will see me. That's, they'll understand me. And when I walk in the room, they'll value me as who I really am. They're not going to look over me or talk behind my back. And beyond that, people are going to celebrate me. They're going to appreciate me. And here's what happens when we take that into our walk with Jesus. When it doesn't work out that way, we start drawing some terrible conclusions. The first silent conclusion we draw is this. God isn't being fair or good to me. Come on, can we be honest? Has anybody ever felt that quietly? You look around and you go, the whole God is good. You're like, God's good to them and God's good to them and God's good to them. But right now it does not feel like God's being good or dare I say God's not being fair to me. When you walk with a restless soul, your lament looms louder than your praise. Every day you get up and it's more about what's broken and what's not yet and what's not working out for you, when you hear celebrations of other people, you find yourself filled with jealousy. 
When you walk with a restless soul, there's always something or someone blocking you from the life you really need. Comparison and jealousy and complaint. It steals your peace and it obscures your view from seeing the beauty of life in Christ in this moment, in all of its brokenness, that it's beautiful and it's a gift. And most of all, it keeps us from seeing the universal path of trials that we're all destined to walk through. We take a victim mentality in everything we do. If, if you walk with a restless soul, the regular thing you're going to hear is, I just can't catch a break. You ever said that? I just can't catch a break. I just can't catch a break. Here's what you're saying. God's not being fair to me. God's not being good to me. Life isn't working for me, and I'm trying to follow the rules, but it's not coming together. If you walk with a restless soul, there's always another mountain to climb, another obstacle to overcome, another breakthrough to achieve. It's the false finish lines of once I, then I thinking. Once I finally lose that weight that I want to lose, then I'm really going to be happy and satisfied and be able to look at myself in the mirror and feel worthy and beautiful and enough again. Once I get the job then I'm going to be content. Once we get out of debt, and once we change this, and once we get where the air conditioner doesn't break again, or Tico doesn't raise our, our rates 300% again, then I'm finally going to see things work. There's always this turn coming around the bend that you're holding out for that never seems to be coming. There's one last piece I want to mention before we get to the solution this morning about a restless soul is when we walk with a restless soul, there's a deep tendency to walk in a rejection and defense mindset that we never might even speak out loud. We feel rejected by God. We feel offended at God. We feel offended with others. We feel offended at ourselves. And there's this tendency of people who have a deep rejection and offense mindset to gravitate without knowing it to other people who have a deep rejection and offense mindset mindset, and they come together to commiserate and to hold conspiracy theories. I want you to hear me right now, and before you look across and go, oh, that's them, if you're saying that's them, you're missing the point of the message. When we think we're being rejected by God, when we think he's not being good, when we think our problem is that person or that thing, it's a rejection and an offense mindset. And the tendency of the enemy on planet Earth is to take people with a rejection and offense mindset and miraculously bring around them other people with an offense and a rejection mindset. And they come together for prayer requests. And the prayer requests they do is nothing more than commiserating their pain together. It doesn't lift them higher. It just arms them against this enemy. They begin to have conspiracy theories about rooms they've never been in, about what this person or this organization or this church must have really done and the way it worked out this way. And it's a dangerous place because when we walk there, what starts to happen is when we get agreement, when two people who walk with a rejection and offense mindset agree, suddenly they think because they agree and they both see the same thing, that they're right. And it's their pride parading as holiness, leading them down a path of slavery. And they don't even recognize it. See, I share with you this morning about a restless soul because it's been the tendency of my life. When you walk with a restless soul, it tends to express itself in one of two extremes. You can't just stay there forever. Whatever is within you is going to come out. Amen? Like a sponge. 
I want to tell you the difficult relationships and the difficult people. You ever get to the place where you're like, I'm really great. I'm really a nice person until that person comes around. I'm really great until I get in this circumstance or this place. I tell my kids all the time as a youth pastor, I said for years, if you want to know, young men and women, how you're going to love the love of your life once they come through, I said, this is what I want to know. How many of you have a brother or sister? How do you treat them right now? How many of you have a mom or a dad? Last I checked, 100% of human beings have a mom or a dad that brought them into the earth. Actually, both, except for Jesus. I said, this is what I want to know, young men. How do you treat your mom right now? You want to know how you're going to treat the love of your life? Because here's what happens. Life is like a sponge. When you get, when you get pressed and when you get squished, it's what's actually within you that's going to come out. So I want to tell you this. If you're walking with a restless soul today, there's really only two ways that it can come out. And it either comes out in striving or scapegoating. A restless soul will come out of you in striving or scapegoating. This is what I mean. So the first one is striving. This has been almost all of my life. Striving is about performance and activity. It's about filling your life with busyness. I always have to fix or build or make something happen. Come on, can anybody relate with that this morning? You're the place that I'm going. I've just, I've got to fill my schedule. And then we blame our schedule. It's just a busy season. It's like, who put this stuff on your calendar? It was you. There's a second way that we respond. The second way we respond is scapegoating. And scapegoating I would call cynicism or emotional paralysis. Here's the way it works. Active scapegoating is cynicism. This is what it is. You blame others or you blame your situation for where you're standing today. You blame your job. You blame your boss. Listen, in, in, in modern days, the number of people ready to blame the church it's just rising and rising and rising. We find somebody to blame. That's active scapegoating. It's cynicism. I'm jaded, and I don't trust, and I walk in suspicion. But there's a passive form of scapegoating, which I call emotional paralysis. And it's this. You choose to live offended. You live perpetually wounded. And maybe you think, well, wait a second. No, but something happened to me. You don't understand. No, here's, here's why I'm saying that scapegoating. Because if you choose to live wounded, if you choose to always have, you always have drama around you. Somebody else has always done you wrong. Nobody understands you. Nobody gets what you say. Then at the core of it, you don't know it. It's not spoken. But you believe that that person and that circumstance is your core problem. You believe they're the problem. But when I open the pages of my Bible, this is what I'm told. The core problem I'm called to focus on in every story I find myself in is my sin. I'm not to look at the, at the speck in my brother's eye. I'm to look at the plank in my own eye. And somebody may come to me and they say, but listen, Pastor Chuck, you don't get it. You don't know what they did to me. And I'm going to say, no, you don't know what he's presently longing to do in you. You say, you don't know what they did to me. No, you don't know. You don't know the links of the cross. You don't know how adored you are. You don't know that you're not a victim, that you're victorious. You don't know that you don't need to empower your accuser anymore. So yes, there's a problem, but I've got news for you. If you live perpetually wounded, and I love you. Listen, <laughs> don't hate the player, hate the game, okay? Listen, if you're in a place 
that you live perpetually wounded, I'm going to agree with you, you do have a problem. But they are not your problem. The agreement you're making about the limitation you're placing on your God is your problem. And I want to tell you this, this is good news. Because Jesus doesn't need their compliance or their agreement today to accomplish his fullness in you. I'm going to say that again because it's dang good. I asked a moment ago, anybody know difficult circumstances? And once you got enough strength to go, okay, yeah, I'll lift my hand. Lots of hands went up. I said difficult relationships. Some of y'all had two hands up. We know what it is to live this life of trial and persecution, don't we? I said, anybody have difficult circumstances? We said, yes, difficult relationships, yes. Here's the great news today. Jesus doesn't need their compliance to accomplish his will and his fullness in your life today. One third of the room got that, so let me say it again. Some of us are going through difficult times, amen? Some of us have difficult jobs, amen? Pastors of Overflow, please don't say amen to that. Some of us have difficult people in our lives, amen? And you're discouraged and you're frustrated and the enemy of your soul wants to say, they're the problem. They must be eliminated. They must be overcome. And I need to either strive over it or I need to blame them and commiserate with other people. And I want to tell you today that Jesus doesn't need their agreement or their awakening to accomplish his fullness in you. Which means in this moment... If you're living with a restless soul syndrome, you don't have to carry it another step. Not because of the message I preached, but because of the life he gave. See, that's good news. Now, I want to tell you, I say that I'm recovering from RSS. And by the way, I don't have a syndrome. I have a savior, okay? But I'm recovering from a restless soul, because as far as I can remember, what I just explained to you the last minute, you're like, wow, you studied something really great on your sabbatical. No, I didn't. I lived something really painful for lots and lots and lots of years. The reason I can describe everything I just said to you was for most of my life, in fact, all of my conscious life, I can remember this was every day and every experience until February 26, 2015, where in Naples, Florida, Jesus met me in 30 minutes in a hotel room at a conference, and he overwhelmed my soul and showed me that in all of my mess, he adored me, that his grace was big enough, that what he paid for me was enough, and finally, I was able to kick that burden off of my back, and I got to tell you, since February 26, 2015, I have never looked back. Something about a restless soul broke off of me that day. There was never the need to perform for anyone again. Suddenly I found a courage rose up in me because I knew who and whose I was. But i got to give you a secret this morning. Any other free people in the room today? Any free people in the room? All right, listen. So some of you to this point, you're like, wow, you're describing my story too. And that's great, but I don't have a restless soul right now. And in the way that you just described. And here's the secret that I want to give you. The enemy of our soul has ditches on, on both sides of God's path for your life. He's just as pleased to get you to crash as a scared orphan scrounging to earn your worth as he is to get you to burn out 
as a special operative who's been told that your voice is needed for this generation. Somebody hear me. You can find yourself just as quickly with a restless soul in all the ways I just described of striving and scapegoating and trying to arrive as you can to get free and go, oh my gosh, the gospel's enough! Only to find yourself saying, okay, then that's it. Then every moment of my life I spend myself for the poor because my voice is needed in this generation, and that's true. But you can find yourself on the road, laying in a ditch, because you haven't continued to rest in your Savior. I want you to hear me this morning. The enemy of your soul longs to exhaust you just as much through rejection fatigue, that is, running to be loved in your own strength, as he does through compassion fatigue, that is, running to be loved in your own strength. The enemy of your soul longs to exhaust you just as much through rejection fatigue, running to be loved in your own strength, as he does through compassion fatigue, running to be loved to others in your own strength. So let me ask you this this morning. Which ditch is most likely to exhaust you? I want to be honest. For me, many days, it's both. I say that I'm recovering because there are ways to, still too many moments that I feel the pull of both of these in my life. That I find this, I want my life to matter. I want to be faithful. I want to reach the full potential of every word that's ever been spoken over me. And... I constantly see the faces of real people that I burn and I ache for to see Christ formed in them. Don't you? I find the pull of both of these things, and it is way too easy for me to shift from living from rest to living restless. Can anybody in the room relate to that and would like some hope this morning? Yes. Today, I, I just I, I briefly want to share, and you know when a pastor says briefly, it means we're going to be here for an hour and a half. I briefly want to share some encouragement of a gentle but courageous shift from unhealthy expectation back into holy expectancy. We have this value at our church called expectancy. It's the second core value of Overflow Church behind intimacy, that friendship with God is our highest privilege, and so we make it our highest priority. Our second value is expectancy, and expectancy says this, we trust God's faithfulness over our feelings. How many of you know your feelings are a gift? Yeah? Your feelings are a gift, but I would not trust your feelings any further than you can throw them. They're just as hard to trust as they are to grab a hold to. They can vanish like a mist. They can be up and then down. However, it says that Christ is taking us to a place of ever-increasing glory. So here's the hope. Your emotions are doing this thing, and all Christ wants to do in the midst of it is this. Yes. He just wants to take you higher and higher and higher. And so we have this phrase. We go around in Christian circles. We say this. If you know the rest of it, finish it for me. God is good. All and all the time. That's awesome, but I want to tell you this. The God who holds us isn't just good. He is goodness itself. Means that you will never experience anything in this life that is truly good, which hasn't been made and formed and is presently being held by him as its source. Our God isn't just loving. No, our God is love. It means every experience you and I have had in life of love was covered with his fingerprints. What does that mean? It means that he's working through the difficulty of your emotions going all over the map for your good. I want to remind us this morning that I may not know why you're facing your trial, but brother and sister, I want to tell you that your destiny 
is to be transformed into the image of love through it. I don't know why you're facing your trial, but I know what God's assignment and agenda is. He is transforming you into the person of love through it. If you and I could see this morning from God's vantage point, I want to tell you, I believe with all my heart, we'd be exploding with hope. So here's my point this morning. There's a foolproof remedy for a restless soul. That's good news, yeah? But there's only one. There's a foolproof remedy for a restless soul, but there's only one. You can't get a generic of this one. It'll burn you. It's this. We must must shift from placing our confidence in me or you or our circumstances to believing the unchanging character of God and the finished gospel we are invited to abide or rest in at this moment. And so in that, I just want to give you five quick revelations. If you're taking notes, these are going to come fast and furious. If you're taking pictures, they're going to come quick. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. If you're living restless, here's five revelations that tell you that you can change today. Let's read the passage first. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7, it says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. For we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Here they are, five revelations to move you from living restless to living from rest. Number one, you are just a clay jar. You're just a clay jar. When I was a kid, my sister and I would go every summer to South Carolina where my mom's parents lived on this huge lake. And so we'd spend all summer on the lake. And on the lake, man, we would swim, we'd see snakes, and we'd see alligators, and we'd fish, and we'd ski. But I remember being little, my favorite thing to do on a warm summer day is to search for the spots on the floor of the lake that moved from being the dirt to the hard clay that was underneath. And this, this lake had some really rich clay. And so we would get that clay out and begin to sculpt things with it. Now, I'm going to show a little bit of my age, but Anybody in the room old enough to remember when you were in elementary school in art class and they would have you always make gifts out of clay? Anybody remember that? Where it'd be like, Christmas time, you make a gift. Why were we always making ashtrays? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it was always an ashtray. Right? I guess that's the thing when it gets burned or whatever. It's like, yeah, you put the ashes in there. I don't know. But I can remember over the summer, I would, I would think back to my, arts, my art class days and I'd say, I'm going to make my parents a gift. And so I take this clay, and what I loved about the clay from this lake is it was really smooth. It was like a, a rich kind of clay, and so you could sculpt it and shape it really easily, and it dried quickly. It got into formation. So, man, about two hours after I made that formation, it looked amazing. But there was a problem with that clay. The minute I tried to move in, this is way before the age of smartphones, right? I couldn't do the thing you guys all do with your meal instead of just eating it, right? I couldn't take a bunch of Instagram-worthy photos. That wasn't possible. So I had to move it at some point. And what would happen when you go to move it? It would literally crumble all the way back to dust. You know why? I like that for a picture for us. Because the Bible says that you and I were literally made from dust. We're literally clay. And so this is the hope I want to give you today. You say, I've been living restless. I'm going to say, here, take hope, friend. You're taking yourself way too seriously. 
Somebody hear it again. Every restless soul I know, you're taking yourself too seriously. And what I mean is either this. You're either taking, please don't mishear what I'm about to say. Okay, I'm talking about a repentant heart. I'm not talking about somebody running from the Lord. I'm talking to people who want to know Jesus. Amen? Okay, you want to know Jesus? I'm either going to say you're taking your sin too seriously. That you're coming into place and saying, I've messed up so bad that I've got to earn my way out of it. You don't understand the reality of the cross. <laughs> or you're taking the gift that you have to offer the world too seriously. Here's the truth. There's only one voice needed for this generation. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is the name above all names, and he stands over every tribe, tongue, and nation. He, by the way, is the leader of Overflow Church and every church in the church of Tampa. He's the one name that's needed. We take ourselves too seriously. So this is what I want to say to you. Revelation number one, you're just a clay jar. You are not supposed to be strong enough on your own. It's okay to feel weak and insufficient, and it is okay to feel like a hot mess. Because my Jesus says that in our weakness is when he is his strongest. I want to tell you on this point of being a clay jar, we desperately as a body together need to protect each other from unrealistic expectations that we place on ourselves and on others. Unrealistic expectations that lead to offense or cancel culture or call-out culture and even unrealistic expectations that lead to this obsession. I'm finding that we're giving the next generation an obsession for significance. I love that we have shows like America's Got Talent and The Voice and, 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 and American Idol and all of those because I love that it's actually showing people the beauty of the, the Lord that is within them, that Christ in them is the hope of glory. But, but what I sometimes struggle with is that what we're giving them is saying, this, you got to get to this stage to be able to be enough. We're giving them a spotlight instead of giving them a savior. And we've got to protect one another in this so that we don't show up. I and mean, I mean, you've seen the documentaries that have been on talking about the church all around the world right now and, and so-called celebrity pastors and, and status. That comes from people getting a restless soul that started really wanting to know Jesus, but being told the way they would be worthy is they've got to be bigger and they've got to have more followers and they've got to have more likes and the only way that we're going to protect each other from needing a platform is walking as brothers and sisters in a family. Because if we don't do that, we're going to find ourselves chasing empires that are really nothing more than clay castles. And whenever somebody walks by to move them, they're going to crumble to dust. And we're going to resent the whole world because they fail to comply with our image for significance. So I want you to lay your hand on your heart. I want you to say this. Say, I'm just a clay jar. I'm just a clay jar. Oh, somebody say it excited. You're... <laughs> I'm just a clay jar. That's it, right? You'll never be happier saying you're dirt. <laughs> Guys, we don't have to have it all figured out. But would you hear me this morning? Neither does the person that you think is making life so difficult for you because they're just a clay jar too. First revelation, I'm just a clay jar. The second one is this, you ready? You carry treasure. So what he says, we carry around treasures in jars of clay. So we're not just a clay jar. We carry a treasure. I just want to say this and again. You hear me say this a lot. Ain't even in my message. It was a revelation I just got. I was like, wow, that's really good. Sometimes when you feel broken and crumbled, that's when the treasure can be most readily seen. Sometimes you say, everything's crumbled around me. I don't understand what's happening. I just needed the treasure to be more seen, not your jar. I don't want people to trust your jar. I want them to trust the treasure within you. So listen, you carry treasure. There are two identifiers of treasure. If you want to know, we use this word treasure all the time, right? Bruno Mars shows up and sings songs about it. What is treasure? There are two things about treasure. Number one, treasure is valuable. 
When we talk about something as treasure, it carries great worth, right? You remember all the great stories, X marks the spot, it's a treasure hunt, we're going to get it, and it's something that's valuable. But the second one, I need you to get this when I say you carry treasure. One, what I'm saying is the value of everything you're already going to be is formed in Christ in you. It doesn't take other people to recognize it. It's already there. You're already treasure. You already carry treasure. But the second is this. Treasure, by its very definition, is rare. Treasure's not common. Treasure's not like anything else. That's why people go on treasure hunts for a very specific something. So what am I telling you is this. The first one, you're just a clay jar. But the second one, you carry treasure. What am I saying? There's something so valuable in you, and it's rare. I want to tell you the treasure you carry, Jesus has never duplicated. He doesn't make copies. He only makes originals. The treasure within you, you carry something rare that Jesus is never going to express quite the same way on planet Earth again. You have a, pers a, a particular perspective or voice or tone of Christ in you that restores heaven to Earth. The reason we just celebrated all of our fine arts students and teachers is these are people from a young age who are discovering who and whose they are, and they are committing to walk in community to help develop that together. They've walked through difficult times together. They've walked through potential offenses together, and they haven't lost heart, and they haven't given up. So I'm telling you, we're going to see that treasure reach all of its fullness. So I want you to lay your hand on your heart for just a minute. He said, I'm just a clay jar. Here's the second one. Say, I carry... Unique treasure. Unique One more time, I carry. I carry. Unique, treasure. Unique treasure. And we desperately need community to help us develop and discover so we can deploy that. The third one is this. You're a clay jar. The second, you carry treasure. The third one, if you want to go from being a restless to restful. You have power that surpasses every weakness, every enemy, and every circumstance in Christ. Acts 1.8, it says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Can I ask you a question? Anybody in the room have the Holy Spirit upon you? Anybody in the room have the Holy Spirit in your life? Anybody in the room received the Holy Spirit? Here's my news for you. Then you received power. You will, not you could, not it's the level up. It's not the free app that you need to pay more, right? And you got to watch the ad. Your power's not loading yet. It's not that. You receive unlimited access to all of the power that rose your Savior from the dead. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in you, and you need to know this. It's not just power. What you have is all-surpassing power. What does it mean? All of the things that could come against you. All of the people that could make life difficult. You have a power that surpasses it. You have a power that is higher. It's above every weakness, every enemy, and every circumstance. And I want you to get this. Go back to 2 Corinthians and read it. It says, we have power from God. It's not based on you or your performance today. It's not based on how well you're believing in your faith. It's like the outlet plug where you put in your phone charger cord, right? It's a never-ending supply of power. But listen, it's going to be useless for your phone until you do two things with it. you got to bring it near to the source, and then you got to let it rest there. Somebody hear me. You have power, and you say, I don't feel like I'm walking in power. I say, great, are you going close to the source? Are you drawing near the source, and are you resting there? Because that's all that's ever going to be needed for power to come, because otherwise I'm afraid 
that you, like me many days, think that your power comes from your performance, not from his finished work. All right, number four. I've had some good ones. I'm a clay jar. I carry treasure. I have power. Number four, you will face trials. Not as many claps for that one. <laughs> I want you to look at the words in this passage real quick. It says this. We are hard-pressed. We are perplexed. Do you know what perplexed means? Perplexed means that you're in the middle of a trial and you're doing everything you can to make heads or tails of what to do next and you can't figure it out. Anybody ever felt there? Let's be real. Anybody been mad at God because you're there? You're mad at God. Because I sang the worship song. I sang three Maverick City songs and I'm still perplexed. I'm mad. <laughs> I went to church. I'm tithing. I'm still perplexed. I'm mad. But Paul says we will be perplexed. It goes further. It says we will be persecuted. And listen, it says we will be struck down. There's one more phrase, by the way, he says. It's this. If you're a believer, we love all the ones we knit on a pillow. This is what he says. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that we always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies. Why? So that we can always reveal the life of Jesus through us. I want to tell you today that you are a treasure and a revelation of the goodness and love of God that can triumph over every suffering, but it's not by being exempt from suffering. You and I are called to face the same trials, but not to respond in the same way or to seek the same source of our solace and our rescue. Now, in these devotions that I put together, in the back of most of them, I have some uh, work with just some uh, uh, appendices that are in the back that walk through. And one of the things I walk through is like 30 different verses from the scripture about trials and persecution in your life. And not just telling you the scripture, but actually telling you a declaration to stand on today. I'll just give you two just very briefly um, that show up in the Bible that are going to move your understanding of uh, uh, trials today. First Thessalonians 3.3 says that we are destined for trials. We like to talk about destiny, but did you know if you're a Christian, you're destined for trials? That's what it means. They're going to come. The second one is 1 Peter 4.12. It says, don't be surprised when you go through fiery trials. I love Julie's word to us this morning. When it gets hot, when it gets difficult, when it's a trial, he said, don't be surprised as if something strange has come upon you. You're destined for this, so instead, rejoice. How do we live in rest? You know you're a clay jar. You know you carry treasure. You get to the place where you see that you have power that is over every enemy and weakness and circumstance. The fourth, you actually come into agreement that we're going to face trials. And this is one you might not be excited to do, but I'm going to tell you if we're going to follow him fully down the Via Dolorosa, we've got to. I'm going to say place your hand in your heart. I want you to say I will face trials here. I will feel perplexed. And some days, I will feel alone. But you will never leave me. And you will never forsake me. Would you just make this prayer? Say, Jesus, open my eyes to what you're accomplishing through my trials. And this leads me to my final point this morning. It's this, that all of that's true. All of that's true. You're going to face trials, but you can live from rest anyway. I want to read one last passage. This is the end of Paul's thought 
in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and this is what he says just a few verses later. And all of that being true, we're perplexed, and it's hard, and we're a clay jar, and we walk in rooms, and they don't get us, and they don't understand us, and they don't celebrate us, and there's difficult circumstances, and there's difficult people, and I find times that I want to strive, and other days that I want to scapegoat, but I'm seeing right now I'm just a clay jar. There is treasure in me. There is power within me because of the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to go through furnaces. And he ends here. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. I just want to focus as we come to our application this morning, our activation on one phrase there. We don't lose heart. The literal phrase in Greek means this, we keep our courage. We keep our vitality. We hold on to our faith. We don't let go of our hope. And I want you to notice something Paul's doing. This isn't a command. He isn't saying to you today, hey, Travis, I know life's hard, but here's what I want. Please don't lose heart. It's not what he said. It's not a command. It's a reality. He said, are you in Christ? Then here's who you are. You don't lose heart. It's not a command. It's a declaration. If you are a Christian, this is who you have become. Don't you dare forget it. He says there's a lot in our lives that is wasting away. Feel that in your bank account some days? Feel that when you look at the scale some days? Feel that with your eyesight that the whole world is not as clear as it used to be? Right? Why isn't the world in high def? There's a lot that is wasting away, but the true us is being renewed daily. It means that we are receiving new vigor and new life that we haven't previously known. I want to tell you, somebody in the room, you feel like an old dog, your Savior can still teach you new tricks. So we move into expectancy, and expectancy says this, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know six months from now what my bank account's going to look like. I don't know what my five-year plan's going to look like. I don't know what my, my job's going to look like, my house is going to look like. I don't know how well my kids are going to get along with me and all the things that I've prayed and all the things that i put confidence in because it's what I really, really, really want. I have no idea and no power beyond being faithful to control any of that. But what I choose to know is this. My God is goodness itself. He can never do anything but good to me, and he's going to work through all the unfavorable things in my life for my good so I don't lose heart. Your faithfulness today is achieving a glory, a splendor, a brightness, and a substance that's going to far outweigh every trial you've ever been through. And I don't know what you're facing, but I know God's will for you in the path ahead. And it's an ever clearer vision of you fully free and fully alive, of you experiencing greater fruit than you've ever known. And so my invitation this morning is this, that you and I would surrender the restless soul of striving and scapegoating, that we let it go. And if you find yourself on the road today that either you've been walking through rejection fatigue, I'm striving to try to become enough, to be seen, to be loved enough, to be free enough of my past, or come on, you're walking with compassion fatigue because you've been free a long time and he burns in you.
then what I'm going to ask is that you would allow him to touch your heart today, that you would get out of the ditch, that you would move your eyes off of your circumstances and your difficult relationships and back to the finished work of your creator. Would you stand with me? I want to apply this two ways this morning as we're here. And then in just a minute, we're going to go out and have baptism. I'm going to ask the prayer ministers to come up. I want to apply this first corporately. Every year when I go away on my Sabbath, one of the questions that come is, what did you sense from the Lord that's coming up? We're having a family meeting next week that we're talking about, hey, this is what's coming. And in our first four and a half years, there are a lot of days where I've come back from the Sabbath and I'm like, guys, there's this big place we're going to accelerate and we're going to add and we're going to expand. I've got a different message for us today, Overflow Church. I want to talk to us corporately. I'm not here today speaking for the pastors and the elders with a master plan of how we're going to be bigger and better and stronger. Instead, I'm coming today with just one desire for the months ahead, one prayer, that you and I would draw together as one family, that we'd walk in connection, that we'd walk in healing, that we'd walk in trust and where trust has been broken, that we would take the courageous steps of belonging to community and restoring trust. That we would not expect from one another what only our Savior can provide. That we would not expect it from ourselves. The call for us is to remain faithful to the unique treasure that he's placed in us. And next week at our family meeting, I'm gonna share five things that God has been saying to us that Overflow Church brings to the community around us. We've known them for some time. We're doing them all right now. And the only thing I want to see is us streamline and draw together more to do it better. So I'm going to tell you this. If you're at Overflow and you've been feeling restless, you've been feeling like, oh my gosh, this is a pace I can't keep up with, you're going to really enjoy this next season. Personally, I want to tell you we're not going to get it all right. When we miss it as leaders, we're going to humble ourselves and we're going to lean into Jesus' voice together to obey and heal and grow, but we're going to stay together. We're going to protect each other, and we're going to look together after one leader, King Jesus. I want to come right now at my Sabbath, and I want to ask you to forgive me and to continue showing me grace wherever I've pushed the pace of our church too fast. I burn for him. I mean, what kind of weirdo does this? on their Sabbath. I've needed your courageous voices to spur me on to slow down. And I've heard you. But I've also needed just as much the ones to ignite faith in us into new frontiers and new horizons. I wanna tell you coming back from Sabbath as we approach five years together, I believe in us. And I believe in the God in us. And I believe as we stay together as part of the church with the big C, we're going to see him astound us through a season we very much love. Amen? <laughs> that was actually asking for agreement. I believe we're going to see God do some beautiful things in these months ahead. Do you agree? Would you say with me, we'll stay together? Say, we'll stay together. Good. Now we're going to say it with conviction and faith. We'll stay together. The altar call moves quicker when you agree.
One more time with conviction and faith. Would you look around the room even when you say this? Say, we'll stay together. And now I'm going to ask, I want to move it from the corporate to the personal. I'm going to ask you to lay your hand on your heart and just close your eyes with me. I have a very simple activation this morning. Here's my question. Do you have a restless soul? Are you restless right now? Do you find the inability to just stay still in your thoughts, in your mind? Do you find you're obsessing with the things that are broken and you've always got to go fix it? Or you yourself are feeling broken by all the things the other people have done and you just feel stuck? Which ditch do you find yourself falling into? Is there anywhere this morning, hand on your heart, is there anywhere you're striving? Would you just begin to tell the Lord that? Oh God, I've been striving, believing that you've got to provide a meaningful job for me. And you've given me a million blessings and I'm not seeing them every day because I'm seeing the one thing that I want you to do that's not coming through. God, I'm ready to stop empowering my circumstances. Would you tell him right now where you're striving, where you get restless, the things you seek to run, and would you take those things off the throne? Are there any places, people, circumstances that you've been scapegoating one way or another that your attitude has been they're the problem my job's the problem my finances are the problem that company's the problem my church is the problem that person is the problem would you right now say Jesus I'm so sorry because I elevated their name above yours they can't bring me peace they're just a clay jar I receive the power that you've put in me right now. I activate the power you've put in me right now. That is over every weakness and every circumstance and every difficult relationship. Would you give me anointing in it? I'm asking right now, some parents in the room who are having difficult kids, some kids in the room who are having difficult parents, I'm asking right now for a new anointing for this season and a new perspective over your heart. Listen to me. I'm always going to be asking God would change your circumstance, but what I'm actually asking right now is that God would change you. See, when it crumbles all around us and we get squeezed and what comes out of us is, my God is good. He won't leave me. My God is love. He's still bigger and he's still better. I'm destined for trials. That is a beautiful source of hope the whole world can see. So here's what I'm going to ask this morning. Hand on your heart. Very simply, where do you need to shift the confidence off of your own shoulders? Where is it this morning that you've been thinking, my whole world rests on me? I'm trying to hold it together all the time, and I'm just going to ask this simply. You can't talk your way through this one. You just got to let it go. I'm going to count to three. I want you to imagine that burden on your shoulders, that thing. I'm responsible for my wayward child. I'm responsible for for peace in my job. I'm responsible for providing for our family. Whatever the weight is, I'm going to ask when I count to three, you see it as a burden off your shoulders, and I just want you to push it off your back. Here it is. You see that weight? You see that burden? This is what I'm putting on my own shoulders. One, two, three. Just push it off. Just push it off your back. Second question I'm going to ask Where do you need to shift confidence off of them? Where is it right now you need to say, I am done blaming that person 
I'm done blaming that circumstance. I'm done blaming my job. I'm done blaming all the things in the world I think are broken. And I receive anointing right now in a world that is broken where I will encounter trials and trouble. Jesus, you're accomplishing a glory that far outweighs it all. May I see my glory today and not my grumbling. Would you let it go right now? Right now, somebody in the room, would you forgive that person that does not have the capacity to see what they've done to you? Would you not hold on to them anymore? There's a huge difference between forgiveness and trust. I'm not asking you to trust somebody who's been untrustworthy. I'm not asking you to step back into a relationship that has proven abusive. But I am asking you to access the power of the Holy Spirit in you to stop empowering them to steal your peace. I'm asking you right now to believe that King Jesus saw it all. And he's a God of mercy, but hear me. He is the God of justice. He'll deal with it. He already is. He doesn't need your agreement. He doesn't need a co-Holy Spirit on the throne to help. Would you let him go? Right now. God, I let him go. God, I repent for scapegoating my job. God, I repent for complaining against my church. God, I'm done. I'm done saying my problem is my mom or my dad or my kid or my finances. The final one is this. I'm going to ask you to move your hand from your heart to just a place of receiving. Would you just open your hands? We've kicked off some burdens. And now we just need to receive his joy. We started the way we're going to end today. Would you say this? Say, Jesus, I want to receive everything you have for me. I receive your joy in the midst of my weakness. I receive your joy in the midst of my brokenness. I receive your joy in the midst of everything in my life that isn't working. I take my eyes off of myself. I take my eyes off of that other person. I take my eyes off my circumstance. And I choose this is the big one, church. This is where we're ending it. I choose to put all of my attention, all of my hope on you. And I don't know if you felt that, but something just shifted in the room. King Jesus, I ask right now, for each of us right now, just as a family together, of brothers and sisters who are just clay jars that we don't have it all figured out. God, may you grant us supernatural eyes to see that you are good and that what you're accomplishing for us now and forever is good. Now here's what I'm going to ask. In just a moment, Pastor Lynn's going to come close the service. And we're going to go into baptisms. And I don't want us to miss any of the glory the Lord has. But I'm going to ask for our prayer ministers to just stay up here in Terry for a moment. Because 
You may be in the room right now and you're hearing it and you're like, gosh, it feels close to something breaking, but there's something more and I need somebody to come in agreement. And this is what I'm gonna ask when we dismiss, would you make a beeline up to the front? I'm gonna ask everybody else if we can just kind of respect the space here up front and move toward the back and move toward the breezeway. Move quickly to get your kids so we can go to baptism. But I'm gonna ask these prayer ministers because God has a breakthrough for you this morning. You don't need to live restless another day. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord.